Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Hello and welcome back to Lead with Empathy. This is going to be part two of how I plan to manage illness in my family and how things are going to be different this season. Now, if you have not listened to part one, please go back to that episode as well. I talk about some prevention methods in that episode, but today's mainly going to be how I support and manage illness. Given that I've already had my first sniffle and like it seems like I have the conjunctivitis right now, I wanted to prioritize this episode and get it out to you. Now, again, always remember this is not medical advice. Always follow the recommendation of your trusted healthcare providers. And should you have concerns for yourself or your children, please always reach out to them. But I wanted to share you with you my personal experiences. This is how I personally choose to manage illnesses in our household. And remember, first and foremost, that kids and people in general, adults, we we will get sick. And you cannot fully prevent someone from getting sick just because you take all the supplements in the world and you have the best diet and the best exercise and the best stress management. You will still get sick. Things have kind of changed for me, though, of how I manage illnesses and how I treat illnesses. And I'm not ashamed of that. That's okay. I think when I was first learning, When I was first at a nursing school and then I had my first child, I tended to lean heavily into Western medicine training. But as I had kids, had my experiences with certain illnesses and medicines and treatments and started to learn more about different things, I have changed the way I do things. And I think that's okay. But I just wanted to share those little tidbits of you of how and what I do. So let's start with the basic respiratory infection, like an upper respiratory infection, meaning like runny nose, postnasal drip cough, maybe a sore throat, kind of stuff like that. So when I my kids have a runny nose, I tend to lead towards a lot of saline products. And the reason for that is we want to keep those mucous membranes nice and moist to help those boogers move themselves. You can't reduce the amount of boogers that are produced in a viral illness. You have to remember that. You can't take away the boogers necessarily, but you can support how they move, which makes a child more comfortable so they can eat and drink and just feel a little better. So even from the newborn stage beyond, I've used a lot of nasal saline, and I will admit that not every child loves or enjoys the spray of the nasal saline. My two older kids did better with it when they were younger, but my third, my toddler, fights me with it and it kind of makes him gag, unfortunately, and he's vomited from the gag. But sometimes I've just had to do it when he's just had some stuck boogers. But I definitely have used nasal saline to help keep those mucous membranes, again, just keep them going. I always just use a clean over-the-counter spray. I'll have to send something out again to people if they want to know products that I've used, but just an over-the-counter spray, nasal saline. Um, I've also relied heavily on a humidifier. I actually have two kinds of humidifiers. One is the canopy humidifier, which I keep that going kind of all the time in the winter from about, I would say, November to May until the humidity comes back because one of my kids seems to be, actually two of them seem kind of sensitive to that. So I keep the canopy going a lot. Our house gets really dry and I do notice that the kids just tend to cough more with that. And I like the canopy one because you can throw pieces of it into the dishwasher. So it's really nice and easy to clean. And if you know, you know that humidifiers are kind of a pain in the butt to clean. But I also keep more of a traditional humidifier around as well because those things, unfortunately, they're harder to keep clean. But what I use is I put distilled water in them when myself um, even or a kid is really junky. I'll fill it up and crank it so it's really close to my kids. I'm not quite sure why it says, I think, as a warning on those things to keep them six feet away. I don't know if that's a risk for the cord. I'm not really sure. 
but I honestly keep it pretty close to them so that they're getting a ton of that humidification. And I feel like that keeps their nasal passages and those coughs down a little bit because if they can move the junk themselves, it's just easier on everyone. And I tend to put it again very close to them if they're sleeping or if we're on the couch during the day and they're resting on me or napping on me during the day. If with like my toddler in the middle of the night, if we were having struggles and I was nursing him, I'd put it right near us. And I really use that as a big tool. And I always have those clean and ready for the viral season. I'm a big fan of humidifiers. I load up on distilled water as well. But I also think one tool that is underutilized is a shower. One of the first things I will tell people when they message me or whatever who are having a hard time with their kids moving boogers is to get a nice warm shower going and hop in there with them because the steam, and I feel like the steam helps with their nose, but it also, I feel like, just comforts their bodies a lot. I found with each of my kids that it's really helped to get the boogers going and loosened up. So again, I could wipe their nose and it would just run in the shower. And it was kind of to get them in a more calm state as well after episodes of coughing. And then I could use the humidifier and the water and if they were nursing or some kind of water after to get them in a calmer state. So when the kids are sick, and because I do the same thing for myself, we may take a couple of warm showers a day, and then I let them usually splash in the tub if they want to. But in general, they just really enjoy splashing in the shower when they're sick. And kind of going off the saline train, one of the things that I utilize more than ever, I honestly used a lot of this in practice, is a nebulizer. So a nebulizer will take normal saline and diffuse it. And you've probably seen them like if you know someone with asthma um, or if you've ever been in the hospital or anything like that, you see a lot of nebulizers. But I use a lot of nebulization personally. And for my kids, I used it a lot this past season. And I remember when I was in practice, everyone was always hesitant to get a nebulizer. And I never understood why in the medical world, why they're so hesitant to give out nebulizers, because now you can literally get them off Amazon. So I had a nebulizer because my second son had RSV when he was six months old. But then I also bought a little handheld nebulizer. It was really cheap and it runs off battery. Again, I'll have to link this for people, but it runs off battery, which is really cool. I can carry it with us wherever we go. And I just use some normal saline and I keep it in my emergency bag. And it's been really nice because it does run off that battery. And when we traveled like this summer, my son had croup and it really helped to kind of calm down the croup. There is, I will have to do some digging into specifically why You can also use something called a hypertonic saline for things like RSV. Again, this is not medical advice. You could speak to a trusted healthcare provider about that. But I have kept hypertonic saline around as well, things that I get off Amazon or other places to um, just have in my stock in case of some more significant illness. But again, that's not recommendation. I just, that's something I personally keep around. But you can get just little nebulizers and normal saline to rub through them. And that can really help when a kid is junky. And I, I've had a friend who has a kid with asthma and because there's the smoke that comes out and she was told to tell, um, I think she tells her daughter to catch the clouds and that's how she gets her to use it. With my kids, I just kind of tell them um, it's not a choice. It's not an option. They need to do this so that they can get more comfortable with their cough and they, it does not hurt them. They just hold it in front of their face and they're going to get some clouds in their face. 
and it's going to help them to calm down. I do usually give them a choice. Like I'll tell them, okay, you can watch a show or you can play with the iPad. Things I don't usually do. Like I hate bringing out the iPad. But if a kid's really sick and I need them to calm down and they're really fighting the nebulizer, I will give them something like that. So that way they can use the nebulizer. Like I said, I have one kid, my oldest, that gets croup. And I do find this helpful for croup as well. Especially if you go camping or traveling and don't have access to a shower, it can be really helpful. So it's just something I'm definitely going to keep in my back pocket and kind of bulk up on the nasal saline for the viral season. And for kids with asthma, kids usually have something prescribed called albuterol. And that's not something that we just traditionally hand out to people. That's not something you can say to your healthcare provider, oh, I'd love to have some albuterol around. That's more for kids with asthma. Albuterol is something that's called a bronchodilator. And it's not something, again, you can just kind of have around. We do have that around because of when my kid has had episodes when he was younger. And I technically do have asthma, so I have used albuterol in the past. But again, that's that's a prescription. That's very different. And obviously, if you had your kids sounding kind of what we call stridorous or wheezy, you can look it up on uh, YouTube. I'll try to make a weird sound for you like this. I mean, that's obviously sounds really scary. <laughs> if it was that bad and your child was uncomfortable, that may be a 911 immediate situation. But if you're hearing any of those kind of wheezing or stridorous sounds, that obviously requires medical attention. But if they just have a cough or you have a cough and they're junky, this is just something that can be really helpful is that nebulizer. So going off of that, what's next? What else do I do for upper respiratory illnesses? One of the quick things, I'm not an affiliate for, um, and I won't be, I just have an interest in it, but I do keep an essential oil blend that I have that I use on my kids' chest and under their noses, and it actually works wonders. I believe it's a mix of lavender and peppermint and different things. My husband used to call it my hippy-dippy medicine because he didn't know why it worked, but even he noticed a difference and he would ask for it when the kids would wake up in the middle of the night with a cough and I was dealing with the babies and he wanted to deal with the big kids. It's kind of like that old Vicks on the feet with socks thing. I have not personally used that brand, but I have done that for congestion and I will tell you it actually works. Putting a little bit on the feet and putting socks on their feet for congestion. Again, I don't know the science to it, but man, does it work. I also keep peppermint oil and lavender oil next to my bed to diffuse at night. I have noticed a huge difference with that for myself as well, especially for adults because we have like larger airways and larger nasal passages. When I diffuse those things, I've noticed a drastic change to my congestion when I'm trying to get sleep when I'm sick. Another product that I keep around is a garlic oil, and I believe it's the Earthly brand. It's a Malian garlic oil, and I have used that on my kids' ears when they have had ear pain or fluid in their ears from discomfort. So one thing I also keep around too is mullein garlic oil, and I have used that on myself and other people and my kids when they have complained of ear pain. It is recommended that you don't use them if you have a ruptured eardrum and people are always like, how do I know if my kid has a ruptured eardrum? And again, not medical advice, but if you can see active fluid coming out of their ears, then not a good idea to use the mullein garlic <laughs> garlic in your ear. But I have used it because oftentimes with upper respiratory infections, kids will complain and pull at their ears. And it's not because they actually have an ear infection, but because they're just full of junk and they can kind of feel that through their sinuses. And so they pull at their ears. So what happens when we get some kind of viral infection and for us and for kids, but it's a little different for kids, is when you get a viral infection, that fluid collects in what's called the eustachian tubes behind the ears. And kids... 
it's more flat. So it's right behind the ear. And imagine this kind of tube behind the ear that just doesn't drain well because it's more flat. So fluid likes to collect there. And then fluid from a virus sits over time and then it becomes bacterial. So that does not mean that the minute you or your kids get a viral infection and they get fluid behind their ears, that they automatically have a bacterial infection. I do believe that we overuse antibiotics and treatments for ear infections for kids. But unfortunately, from the provider side, I also know that parents get really upset and angry if you try to explain to them that not every kid needs antibiotics for an ear infection. I've dealt with it, that people get really upset when I don't give them antibiotics, and that's a whole other topic. But I do understand why it can be frustrating, because if your kid is pulling at their ears and they've been sick, you think that they have a bacterial infection. But just because they have fluid behind their ears does not mean that it's necessarily an infection. So I have personal experience with a million garlic, and it actually does help. And I've used it on one of my kids that just had fluid behind and in his ear and it helped with his discomfort as well. So I like to keep that around because it's kind of tool in the toolbox to help with that discomfort. So hopefully over the next few days, the child can fight the infection and not require antibiotics. The last time I looked up the guidelines for treatment for an ear infection, it technically was if both sides were red and bulging and in pain and had fever, that was recommended to have treatment with a antibiotic. But I think the guideline is if a kid is pulling on one side or is in obvious pain on one side with no fever fever or does have a fever. Maybe I'm going to mess that up. But basically, I go by the kid and I go by the look of the ear. But there is a guideline for if the child is having symptoms plus a fever on one side that you can wait 48 hours. I just know a lot of people don't like to do that. But this is a good kind of in the meantime, see if that ear will self-resolve. I know in other parts of the world, they do not use ear infection treatments like we do here. So I really just try to be cognizant of that. So I am going to try to utilize that this year and see how that goes if my kids tend to have any more ear issues. But the other thing that I'm going to keep around and something I've talked about on my social media page is my loan box. And I know it is more expensive, so it's something that is not necessarily just a quick over-the-counter thing, but it is something if you can invest in a tool, I would keep around. So the loom box is Red Light Therapy. And if you look, it's L-U-M-E-B-O-X. You can look on their website and it will talk to you about why the benefits of Red Light therapy, but I have used it for myself when I had swimmer's ear. I used it when I cut my hand and it really worked wonderful. I couldn't believe it. So I'm excited to use it this year to see how it helps with my kids. Like if we have any chest symptoms or if we have any viral symptoms in general, it does come with goggles that they have to wear if you keep it towards your eyes. But I'm really excited to see if that helps this year. The other really funny thing that I do for ears that you have to kind of bear with me with, but When my kid, my toddler, had fluid in his ear, I really didn't want to give him antibiotics because typically any of those things, he'd just gag and throw up anyway. He just doesn't like the taste of any of those things, including like any medicines like ibuprofen. So what I would actually do is take the back side of his electric toothbrush and rub it from the front of his sinuses towards the ear, behind the ear, and then down. And what the goal, what I was trying to do, if you Google it, is a eustachian tube massage. And you know what? Between that and the garlic oil, he did not end up needing antibiotics. So I do feel like it helps to get the fluid going. I have done it on myself. Again, when I had that ear infection, um, the swimmer's ear, I kind of did that. And I also did something called gua sha, which is just this little tool that helped me to kind of push fluid. So that is something that I will do. I'll have to demonstrate that on my social media with a video. But I do try something called the eustachian tube massage when I think my kids kind of have some ear issues. The next thing, um, if we're kind of going down, 
around from sinuses to ears is the throat. We didn't really deal with any throat issues last year. I do need to look into finding some kind of natural throat spray. I do use a lot of honey for myself and my kids. I will warm up a little bit of warm water with lemon and honey if they are kind of having a post-nasal drip or complaining of a sore throat. Again, keeping the mucous membranes, that's kind of where taking the showers and keeping the humidifier going, even if they're not coughing, can help because I feel like from post-nasal drip in general, kids can just get dry and that causes them to cough or causes them to have a sore throat. So when it comes to sore throat, I don't feel like I'm the best person for that until maybe things will come up with my kids this year. But I do try to keep in general, just keep their nasal passages going to keep that humidification, keep the mucous membranes moist so they don't get as much of a sore throat. And I do utilize honey. You can't give honey to kids under one, but my kids are all older now and they do enjoy honey. And I'll put that in warm water with a little lemon or something. And they tend to enjoy that. And that can help as well. Keep in mind for sore throat, if they have a fever, a uh, fever is defined as 100.4 greater and they can get like little lymph nodes under their neck, I would consider testing for strep. In terms of other medicines that I would give for discomfort, I've talked about that in the other podcast already. I don't really use Tylenol, but I would consider ibuprofen. It was bad enough, especially if I'm trying to rule out or check on strep because I feel like ibuprofen can really help if a child is having a lot of discomfort enough that they can't sleep or they have a fever or same with myself. If I have a really bad sore throat and I just want to catch some sleep and I take a little bit of ibuprofen, it may help me enough that I can catch some sleep. And I think that's one really important thing is getting sleep when we're sick. Kind of going off the fever, Tylenol, ibuprofen thing. I used to view fever very differently. I've always understood that fever is a very natural thing, but in a way with my kids, because my oldest would get fevers from daycare and ear infections all the time, I kind of changed a little bit of how I feel about fevers now. I actually have had a couple fevers in the past year, and I used to view that, or as an adult, you may think that's not a good thing. But I'm actually kind of proud of my body because I was diagnosed with celiac many years ago and was so sick. The fact that I've had fevers actually tells me that my body is working. And so as much as I hate getting a fever, when I get them, I'm like, okay, my body is doing the right thing. So in children, technically a fever is 100.4. And just as a side note, any child under three months definitely should contact if your child has a fever of 100.4 or greater, particularly under 28 days as a newborn. As an adult, I think technically it's like 101 is a fever. But you have to rem remember that fever means that the body is working. So I think a lot of people, the first thing that they'll do when they get a fever or their kids get a fever is give medicine. And the reason I don't, I always advise people not to do that is because we want to see what that fever is going to do. We want to know, is that fever going up? Is it going down? What kind of symptoms are coming with it? And if your kid wakes up in their 101 and you immediately give medicine, you have no idea what that fever is going to do. What if it just goes away by itself? It's okay to let the body work, particularly during the day when you can support it. So you can give fluids, you can use cold cloths, you can do all the like things that seem so silly and so simple. You can give little baths and things to give them comfort. I've also seen this really cool thing where someone, I'll have to um, share this in my social media as well, where people have said you put cold socks on the feet and then you put wool socks over them and that gets the kind of lymph and everything going in the body. 
and that helps to reduce the fever. And people are saying that that works magic. I tried it once and I'm not sure if it was the thing that did the trick, but it is really cool that our bodies know what to do, right? And so please, the first thing that I recommend usually to people who ask me is not to jump first to covering up the fever and taking medicine, really seeing particularly for kids how it goes, how it changes and letting them ride out the fever a little bit. I will say I'm trying to do some more research. I'm not an expert in homeopathy and I really kind of want to explore that a little bit more because I don't like to give these medicines. But I will say when my kids, I have one kid in particular that always gets up to like 103 when he gets sick, which is good. His his immune system is working. But I do like to give sometimes at night, I will give small doses of ibuprofen because not even the full dose, as I said, I think in the first part of part one of this podcast with how I prevent or treat illnesses, I like to use just a small dose sometimes of ibuprofen, not even a full dose, just to bring the fever down enough that sometimes, I don't know if even it's a placebo effect, but I feel like my kids just respond if they can get a little ibuprofen and they sleep better, their bodies can fight, their immune systems just fight it off better. And I feel the same way. I had a fever when I got really sick at one point, a fever of 103, and I tried everything to not take medicine. And then I finally took some ibuprofen just because I needed to catch some sleep because my body aches were so bad. And then I felt like once I was able to get some sleep, my body was able to do some of the work. So just remember that fever is not necessarily a bad thing. I know it gives us, especially as parents, it gives us a lot of anxiety, but sometimes you just need to ride it out. And I know with my toddler who has never taken again, he's the gagger, so he doesn't really take medicine that we've rode out pretty much all of his fevers and now he kicks his fever faster than his brothers. And I think there's something to be said for that. So just please don't jump right to giving medicine. Contact their healthcare providers. Obviously, if you have concerns or questions and they start to jump up really high. I used to tell parents anything over like 102.6 is kind of like watching and being more mindful. But some of those low-grade fevers especially, you don't have to give medicine. You don't have to give anything just letting and supporting that fever. So other things that I do to support the fevers, I do keep magnesium flakes and I have used those like kind of Epsom salt type baths for my kids. When their fevers have gone up, I've used that for myself and that really helps to calm my body for sleep as well. Another thing that I will have to link for you is Shannon Tripp's course because I believe she has a course that talks about how to manage things as well. So I will link that as well if you want to take a deep course into how to care for fevers. And same with another course of someone else I know who really dives into homeopathy. I'll have to link both of those things for you if you're interested in kind of the alternatives for medicine and treatments. But one that I wanted to mention, and I'm going to mess up saying it is from Boron, is Oscar. Again, I probably pronounced that wrong and that's okay. But I have used that before. It's a homeopathy for like, I think just flu-like symptoms, body ache and fever. And when my kids had that last year, I used it to kind of prevent mine from getting worse when my symptoms first started. And it actually did seem to work. I was quite impressed. So it's something I'm keeping in my toolbox as well. And I know a lot of people who use that and seem to have a lot of improvement as well. I talked about this in the previous episode as well, but things that I'm keeping in my toolbox for when my kids or myself get sick or my husband too. I feel like I keep forgetting my husband, but he works in people's mouths for a living. And I feel like much when I worked in pediatrics, I was just exposed to things all the time. And so I got less sick, but I feel like I get more sick now that I'm not being constantly just like microdosed with viruses. But I do keep vitamin C, glutathione and elderberry as well that I will take those every day. Myself and my kids will take every day when we are sick. So that way we can support the body and the immune system 
we're using them preventatively, but when we're sick, we will probably use them more consistently. The other thing I touched upon in the other podcast was hydration and nutrition. And in terms of hydration, I don't use any of the other traditional marketed products for kids and families for hydration. I choose to use just water, remineralized. We filter our water, so I put these little remineralization drops in. Or if we have been really dry or especially after like a GI gastro bug, I have used coconut water and I'll add a little pinch of Redmond sea salt to that. And my kids, two of them won't really drink the coconut water. So I'll actually put that in a smoothie with like strawberry and banana. And they really like that. One of my kids loves coconut water, so he will drink it and I will drink it. But when we've had gastro illnesses, we actually all had gastro illnesses in the spring. I've used a little bit of that coconut water to rehydrate them and it worked pretty well. I know a lot of people out there, they have like specific cocktails and mixes for you of how much of each one you're supposed to have. And I can link those things, but I really am not specific about it. I just kind of use them for rehydration to make sure they're getting their electrolytes. If my kids were really sick, I would probably look up specific recipes. But overall, even when they had gastro illnesses, they only lasted about eight hours. So I was able to rehydrate them with little sips in between and after for sure. One thing I always have recommended to people is to avoid dairy when they're sick and when their kids are sick. I just feel like it's really mucusy and kids don't tend to do well with it when they're sick. So um, sticking more to water, coconut water, those type of hydration things rather than dairy products, even like the yogurt and the cheeses, just to give their bodies and bellies a break. A lot of people will produce extra mucus when they're consuming dairy. So it's probably just not the best idea. I don't use it in like the smoothies or anything like that too when the kids are sick. But in terms of food, people also tend to get stressed when their kids aren't eating. And you have to remember that when they don't feel good, just like when we don't feel good, they might not want to eat as much and that's okay. The hydration is truly more important. And I don't follow any of those necessarily the brat diets that used to, they used to say, what is it? Bread, rice, toast diets. I don't tend to follow that, but I do tend to stick with more things like smoothies and eggs and toast and anything that's more gentle to make sure that they are getting some food, but I don't hyper-focus on that, if that makes sense. That was a little more off the cuff for me. Usually when I do my talks, I'm trying to be a little bit more organized. So I'm sorry if that was a little scattered. But where we're getting into a viral season, I really wanted to push this out, especially to go along with part one, which is more focused on prevention. But overall, my goal was to kind of give you ideas of how to manage respiratory illnesses, not to give you specific, oh, these are the red flags that you should look out for. Again, there are so many courses and great resources for you about that. And I don't want this to become some kind of medicalized thing that I have to source. And I don't want to have to give you all these disclaimers and things. I just want you to understand that you have simple tools in your home that you can use, like a shower, go out and get a humidifier, get a handheld nebula, getting some of these tools to have in our pockets for when these respiratory illnesses are inevitable and when the ear infections and the gastro illnesses and all these things. I unfortunately feel that viral illnesses have started to scare parents so much. Like all of a sudden, we can't get sick at all. We don't know how to manage them. We get scared. I hear you. I understand you. I think, unfortunately, side note that the media has filled you in that way because you are just trying your best to help manage your family and your child's health and your health. And unfortunately, everything has just skyrocketed in terms of illness. But do remember that people used to just care for their kids 
in their home with general illnesses and you can do the same. And I truly believe that. I want to link again some couple of things for you because I feel like there are some really empowering accounts out there, some really good courses if you really, really want to dive into these specific things and really have the confidence to take care of your kids. I would love to have some of these people on the podcast as well. That's not happening at the very moment, but I hope some pieces here will helpful. Check out on my social media because I will try to link some of the products as well for you. If you have any questions, please send me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email from my website at hollyloganhealth.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And again, until next time. Thank you for listening in today and I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.